Well, we are in our series, we're talking about thriving with hope, and we are studying Psalms. And so it's a summer of Psalms. The Psalms are songs and and personal testimonies and, and prayers that are given to us, the church, that we might understand who God is and we might know him and love him and honor him. They've been used by the believers for millennia to help us to be strengthened in the hope that we have. And so this summer we're studying them and we're learning how it is we can experience life fully in Christ Jesus. Now our text today reminds us that in our life's journey, we're going to go through many different seasons. And sometimes we're going to go through seasons that feel like death is all around. The season is described in Psalm 23, 4. The psalmist calls it the valley of the shadow of death. And we who are believers in Jesus, we, we draw strength from the hope that we have in the text that we're going to study today. Always remember, the Psalms give hope to those who follow Jesus. The Psalms point to Jesus in some significant way, often directly, sometimes indirectly. The Psalm that we're going to study today, a portion of it is quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, telling us that this is Jesus. This one who gives life is Jesus. But the the whole Psalm is, is written by David to help us understand how it is we can deal with feelings that we will often have when we feel like we're surrounded by death. Feelings are important. We should never ignore our feelings, but we should also never entirely trust them. Our feelings often deceive us. Our feelings can be manipulated. Our feelings often change. We need to go to that which does not get manipulated and never changes, and that is God and his word. God does not change, and his word does not change. That's why we can always trust God and his word as we deal with our feelings. Our text today helps us to to know what to do when, when it feels like death is all around us. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Ellie's going to come and read first verses one through four. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Psalm 40. This is verses one through four. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the Murray bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Be seated now and pray for the preaching of God's word. The Psalms are often categorized in different ways. There are certainly five books that they were categorized in, and each Psalm has a significant sense about it. Our text for today, the entirety of Psalm 40, it has many senses about it. But when you study the commentators, uh, predominantly they say that this is a psalm of thanksgiving. If you're going to do a serious study of the Psalms this summer, and I encourage you to do that, I would recommend that you use a study Bible to do it. I love the, uh, the ESV and the NIV study Bibles. The MacArthur study Bible is, is excellent. I have found a great deal of help with this Psalm in particular in, with the ESV study Bible. The ESV study Bible tells us that this is a Psalm of Thanksgiving. A Psalm of Thanksgiving expresses gratitude to God. And this was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by David, King David. 
And he was praying about the fact that God had, had given him victory and, and provided for him when he was in a pit of destruction. You see the description there. And then he praises God and then he asks God to provide for him again because uh, he is now going through uh, uh, yet another difficulty. And, and in life, friends, we're going to go through times when it feels like we're surrounded by death. Sometimes it's physical. Every week, members of our congregation go through the valley of the shadow of death. Last week, there were people sitting in your, the seats that, that you're in right now. And by this time, one week later, many of them are now in the valley of the shadow of death because of a stroke, because of a heart attack, because of um, a cancer prognosis, because of a car wreck. And, and that's just our little church in the world. This has happened in a week. And when that happens to us, and it's going to happen to you, if not directly to you, to those close to you, and when that, that physical fear grips you, it's going to feel like death is all around. And there's hope. You can be a person who's thriving with hope even when you face that. Sometimes it's spiritual. Those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ, we're going to go through seasons of doubt. It's so serious that this fall, we're going to do a series, Thriving with Doubts. We're going to learn how to deal with doubts. Uh, we're going to learn big truths from little books. We're going to do a study of some of the minor prophets. And we're going to see how to deal with doubts. And, and when you go through a bout of doubt, when you have loved ones that go through bouts of doubts, and you will, it can feel like death is all around. It can feel like spiritual death. It can feel like your soul is dying. Their soul is dying. I remember when I was a new believer, I had doubts. I started thinking that maybe what had happened to me was just emotional. Maybe that, that wasn't real. Maybe this whole Jesus thing and the Holy Spirit thing, maybe that was just a mind game that people were playing on me and this was not legitimate. And I shared it with a friend and she was so good to tell me of her own doubts, of her own story. And she told me how she had talked with our pastor and he had said, oh no, all who truly believe will often truly deal with doubts it's a sign that you are saved. See, unbelievers don't doubt. They just don't believe. Believers deal with doubts. And so by having doubts in a, in a, in a really big way, it's proof that you are a believer. Because if you weren't a believer, you wouldn't care. The fact that you care is a sign, is, is a sense that Hey, Christ is alive in me. I'm just struggling with outside information. I'm dealing with my flesh. I need to fight this. I need to deal with doubts. But when you're in the middle of it, it can, it can feel like death is all around. It, it happens also relationally. It happens sometimes when there's a breakup or a divorce. It, it can even happen in positive things, like when you move to a new city or, 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 or maybe graduate or, or you know, get, get a promotion. You know... <laughs> There's, there's an old you know, saying, every, what did the poets say? Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. One of our pastors used to say it like this, broken hearts and fresh starts. But when your heart is breaking and you're going through that time of change, it can feel like death. Now remember, we can't trust our feelings, but we have to be mindful that they're there. Our feelings can be deceived. And when we feel like death is all around, it may very well be, but there's still reason to have 
hope because the word of God gives us hope because our God is alive and because he speaks through his word we always have reason to have hope and there's three things that those of us who are believers that we have we, we need to remember these three wonderful advantages that we have when we feel like death is all around. And that's what I want to encourage you to see in our text today. So take note of these three things. The first one is this. Remember, the faithful can remember the salvation of God. The faithful can look back and remember their salvation experience when it feels like death is all around. And they can thrive with hope. Every true Christian, every true believer has three parts to their life story. The first part is BC, before Christ. Some of you children, it's difficult for you to remember what your life was like before you came to Christ. Maybe you were saved at a young age and it's hard for you to remember what what that was like. Ask your mom and dad and they can tell you what kind of sinner you were. You know, it's always funny to me when I talk to it. Well, I just feel like I've always believed. So I'd like to talk to your mom and dad. I think they've got a different story. I'm sure you lied. I'm sure you threw a fit in Walmart and they never trained you to do that. You just did it naturally because you're a sinner. And we all are born sinners. And that's the first part of our story. But then there's a salvation experience. There's something that happens. We're born again. We become alive to God. We become sorry for our sin. We don't want to live that way anymore. We repent of sin. We believe that Jesus Christ died to pay for that sin, that he will live in us if we will ask him. And and we experience new life. And that's the second part of every genuine believer's story. If you've never experienced that, friends, you, you you need Christ. It's not enough to be a religious person. Religion kills. The Spirit gives life. Only the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus Christ and the grace that is given to us by God. And everyone who's a true believer can speak of that season. Now me, I can take you to the spot. I can take you there and tell you exactly what God was doing in my life when I was saved on June 28th. I can, I can describe in, in very particular terms what was going on. For some of you, it may be a season, it may be a summer, it, it may be even longer where you say, you know, I came to the conclusion through a number of events that I was a sinner and that Jesus Christ had died to pay for my sin. And I believed that and I confessed him as my Lord and was baptized as a believer. That's the second part. The third part is the story of your life with Jesus alive in you. So there's three parts, life before Christ, saving faith in Christ, and now life with Jesus. And life with Jesus is going to bring changes to your life. And these changes, this grace, this goodness of God, we need to be telling other people about it. It it says in in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I want to challenge you to do something today. You're probably going to be with some family and friends today. I want to challenge you to share your three-part story. And this is very important. Grandparents, some of your grandchildren don't know your story. Parents, some of your children don't know your story. And parents, you need to know your children's story and you need to fill in any of the blanks that might be missing. You need to know each other's story because one day every one of us are going to die. And if you're a member of this church, 
One of the first things that a, a minister or a pastor is going to ask you about your departed loved one is, when did they come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? And you need to be able to share their story. You need to be able to know with confidence, okay, they were a sinner at this point, they were saved at this point, and this is what their life with Jesus was like and how God worked in and through their life. Friends, that's the story of all the redeemed. And we need to be encouraged with that. Those of us who believe we have this story, we can remember our salvation. And when a person comes to that saving faith, there's several things that happen that we see in our text. Look at it. It says, the Lord inclined his ear to hear me. I waited patiently for it. He inclined to me and heard my cry to incline. The picture here is of an adult reaching down to a child. And what's the child doing? The child is crying, crying out to the father saying, save me, help me. I need you. Every saved person has cried out to God. You've cried out in some form or fashion, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you've not cried out to God to be saved, you need to do that right now. Right now in the silence of this room, you need to to begin to pray, God, I know I've sinned. Please forgive me. I know Jesus died for my sin. I know Jesus is alive. Jesus, come live in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. I need you. Cry out to God and you will be saved. And when you're saved, look what he does. God draws us up out of death, the pit of destruction and dirtiness, the miry bog. All who are saved experience this double cure. This cure from the pit of destruction and the miry bog. Rock of ages, that great hymn tells us of this. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. What's the double here? Look at the two parts. Save from wrath and make me pure. We are saved from the wrath of God. How? When Jesus was dying on the cross, he yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus and he died. He paid the penalty for our sin so that we are free from the punishment of sin. But he was raised three days later and he sent the Holy Spirit of God. And now we are saved from the dirtiness of sin, from the control, the power of sin, because now he's alive in us and he's making us holy as he is holy by his very presence in our life. And so we are saved from the pit of destruction and the dirtiness of the miry bog. Friends, understand salvation is far more than just simple forgiveness. It's experience new life in your life. These past few weeks, since we had family dedication, I've been meeting with a lot of dads who dedicated their children. I realized I didn't know a lot of them, and so I wanted to spend time with each one of them. And so over the last few weeks and some more weeks that are yet to come, I'm I'm meeting with these dads, and I'm, I'm finding a similar story. It's a story of a lack of sleep. It's a story of, of a, a great deal need for prayer and an understanding that, that this is more difficult than what they thought it might be. Stories of temper tantrums and, 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 and sometimes uh, emotional circumstances that can feel overwhelming. And, and I said, so what you're telling me is that little bitty child has changed your life. And they say, yeah, is that wrong? No, <laughs> it's right. If a little child can change your life, 
how much more can a risen, powerful, awesome Savior change your life? See, if that glorious God who died for your sins and has been raised on the third day is alive in you, then he's changing your life. If he's not changing your life, something's wrong. And I can promise you it's not on his end. It's on ours. Salvation is a gift that we receive by grace. And it's a continued work of grace that changes us and frees us from the miry bog. And then he gives us a solid foundation and path to follow. He says, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I love to go hiking. And a few weeks ago, we were on a staff retreat and we were going hiking. And it was interesting to go across the different terrains and we we got to a waterfall and it was very slippery and we had to be really careful and so we took this picture and of course you see the one who's goofing off and we had to worry not only about our slippery steps but pastor bill wade who kept hiding behind trees and jumping out and throwing things at people he's kind of like the devil sometimes my friends it can often feel that way. You know, when you're going through a journey and you're, and you're on slippery stuff and you got to be careful and you got to know what kind of terrain, but you always got to kind of keep your eyes up because you, you never know who's going to jump out and try to uh, act like he's pushing you over a ravine, which is funny when it's not you, but this is what the devil does. He's all the time trying to make things slippery. He's all the time trying to deceive. But you know what God does? He says, here, put your feet on me, the solid rock, Jesus Christ on the one who's, who's already been victorious over every trial and challenge the devil can bring. He, he calls us to stand on him, to live on him, to follow his way. And then look at verse three and four. This is beautiful. He gives us a new song. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. One of the things I love about worship is it's, it's meant to be catalytic. These songs that we sing are meant to stay in our hearts. These words that are preached are meant to stay in our minds and challenge us to go deeper into the word of God, to sing more praise to God Monday through Saturday, and, and to even say to others, look what my God has done. Look at what my Savior is doing. Look at the difference that he makes. And to celebrate his great grace, we need to sing and share what we hear on Sunday throughout the week. The second thing to note that we as believers, one of the advantages that we have that we need to remember, the faithful can remember the blessings of God. The blessings of God. Look at the blessings that David spoke of beginning in verse five. God blessed him and gave him a mind to remember you have multiplied, O oh Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they have more than, than, than can be told. They are more than, than can be told. There is so much more that God has done that we can never remember. It's important that we write it down and remember. Psalm 105, write that down and go back and look at it today. Psalm 105 is a psalm of remembrance. And in this psalm, the, the children of Israel are celebrating what God has done. They're remembering what God has done, how he, by the blood of the lamb, saved them from death. 
brought them through the the waters of the Red Sea, gave them the word of God, the Ten Commandments, so that they could make their way to the promised land. And this is what God has done for every true believer. He has saved us by the blood of the Lamb and set us free. And we've passed through the waters of baptism to announce that we identify with Him. He's given us His word to pursue Him as we seek to get to the promised land that is heaven. And friends, we need to remember the stories. We need to write down. We need to have remembrances. I love the fact that I can go back in my prayer journal. I've been now journaling prayers for almost five years and I can remember dark, difficult days and I can remember how I prayed and I can, I can also go back and see all the prayers that God has answered and I can see the provision of God that leads me to praise and this is one of the great advantages is that I can see the blessings of God. Verse six, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering, you've not required. What does God require? A meaningful relationship with him. Jesus has paid it all. That's the gospel. The, The three circles tell us that God's design has been lost because of sin. We are now broken people. But if we will repent and believe the gospel, what God has done, we can have a personal relationship with Jesus. Friends, if you're counting on religion to save you, you have, you're believing a lie. You cannot make up for what you've done. The only thing that can make up for your sin is your eternal punishment. Giving a few bucks, being nice to a few difficult people, that is not gonna make up for your sin debt. It doesn't even begin to make any kind of payment towards what you've done. Your hope, my hope, the only hope is the full payment that has been made by Jesus Christ for our sin. He is the only savior. He is the only one who can take care of us. And he will, if we will believe, and we will then know him and and feel his love, experience his love, and he will change our life. And then he will bless us with his plan. Verse seven, then I said, behold, I've come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. And we know that, that not only is David writing this, he's also speaking messianically. Hebrews chapter 10 quotes this, speaking of Jesus himself. And here's what we know. Before Christ came, God had a plan for how he would live. Before David was ever formed, he had a plan for us. And I've got good news for every one of us in this room. And this text I'm about to read to you blows my mind. So you'll forgive me if my mind explodes when I'm reading this text in just a moment. But this is mind-blowing to me as as it pertains to me and to you as to the power of God and what he's done with our story. This is Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. That is a very beautiful way of saying, before God made you, he'd already written your story. He already has his plan for you, just as he did for David, just as he did for Jesus. And it is now time for you to take responsibility for your life, to find and fulfill your destiny. God has a story that is written that he wants you to live. And you only do that by the power of the spirit and the grace that God gives under the sovereign care that he provides. 
And then what happens to us? Verse 8, I delight to do your will, my God. Your law is is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance. In the great congregation, Makola, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. See, God blesses us to tell others. God blesses us to tell our, 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 our people, the people in our homes, our neighbors, and every generation of persons that we come across. Friends, do not think that because you live in the, in the, in the somewhat South that people know. One of our pastors, Will Burnham, led a man to Christ in his 50s this week in Bowling Green who's lived his entire life in Bowling Green. And when Will explained to him Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, you know what he said? He said he'd never heard of that before. Now that's dumbfounding to some of you because you've been raised and reared on it. As a matter of fact, often when I'm reading the scriptures or telling the stories of the gospel, you glaze over because you've heard it so often. But do you know that there are people that you're going to drive past today? There are people that you're going to sit in in, in distance of, sight distance of, that do not understand who Jesus is and what he's done. You're sitting on gold. You're sitting on the serum that will heal their soul. But you're not telling anyone. The statisticians tell us now that 70% of the people that you invite to church will not come. The church has earned such a terrible reputation in the the world that many Americans no longer want to attend church and church attendance is dropping rapidly. That means 70% of the people that need to hear the gospel will never listen to me. You know who they'll listen to? You. Because they're in your home. Because they're your neighbors. Because they know you and they see your kindness and they see you pray and they see you care. And so they will listen to you. Here's the question. Will you tell them? We talk about impact maps here. Every member of the congregation should have an impact map. There should be three people that you have circled in your mind that are lost, that are on their way to hell, that you're praying for, that you will share Jesus with them. And beyond them, they each one, you need to imagine them being able to share with three other people. I know way more about how viruses are contracted than I ever wanted to know. Can I get an amen? You know, we, we need to be spreading the gospel a lot faster than, than we do any other kind of virus that we may come in contact with. We need to expose people to our hope. We need to expose people to the love of God given to us in Christ Jesus. We need to share it. We need to let them see it and we need to speak to it readily. It's a great blessing to be a blessing. And serving is a blessing. The faithful can remember the blessing of God and seek to be that blessing last. The faithful can remember the promises of God. David prays an audacious prayer here. Beginning in verse 11, as I was reading this, I was thinking, where does he get the guts Where does he have the audacious faith to request such things? Look at this prayer. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. How does he know that? Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. How does he know that? 
For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. And I cannot see they are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Why does he feel that? Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Why does he have the confidence to pray that? Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Where does he get all? 15. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But I, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. What? How do you know? You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Where does he get the courage to pray that? There's only one place. He knows the promises of God given in the word of God. Do you realize that the promises that David were praying, that was only a small portion of the Bible? He had the Pentateuch. He had the Pentateuch. He was writing <laughs> the rest of the parts, most of the Psalms. What do we have? How many more promises do we have today that if we dared, we could pray them? I want you to just... Just listen to this. Don't worry about writing anything down. I've already published this on on social media today. Listen to these promises. Do you know them? Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can, continue, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Isaiah 41, 10. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 26. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Deuteronomy 31, 8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Isaiah 54, 10, for the mountains may depart and the hills may be moved, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who generously gives to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that my father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 2 Corinthians 12, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. 
Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that's just the, the, the tip of the iceberg, my friends. Praise God. These are promises. They're ours. These are the things that we have from God. And we can hold every one. And you know what God loves for us to do? Our Father in heaven. I don't like it as a father because I'm, I'm, I'm sinful. I, I'm weak. When my children say, Dad, you know what you said. Remember when you said that you would? Well, I falter. You know God, our Father, never falters. And you know what he loves is when we bring his promises and say, God, you said. You said you'd do this. Are you going to keep your word for your glory and for your name's sake? And remember, you give reasons for why God should answer his prayers when you ask them. When you give these promises, it delights the heart of God. Charles Spurgeon said, God promises, God's promises are the peculiar treasures of believers. The substance of faith's heritage lies in them. All the promises of our covenant God are ours to have and to hold as our personal possession. By faith, we receive and embrace them. And they constitute our riches. The promises of God are the greatest treasures we have. They will not grow old. They will not rust or get weaker. Because our God does not. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, these promises do not apply to you. If you're not living for Christ, you don't know these promises to hold them. If you're not walking in these promises, they do not bear you up. And you need to repent. Let's pray. If you don't mind, let's stand together. And if you're a prayer or care leader, would you please make your way to the front? Father God, I, I thank you for your great grace that transforms our lives by the power of your spirit. And Lord, I can't help but know that there are some here today who need to be saved. And I pray that, that today is the day of salvation for them. Lord God, I know that there are some of your children here today who need to repent because they are not being bold in prayer. They're not being bold in sharing their faith. They're not standing on Christ, the solid rock, and they're stumbling and they're slipping and they're straying away from you. Hear them as they repent now. And Lord, many of us need help. We need your strength. We need your provision. We need your power to be at work. And so would you right now give faith to the hurting hearts, to those who are wondering where you are? If you would, take just a moment. If you need to pray for salvation, ask for it. If you need to repent, repent. If you can, think of a lost person that is on their way to hell right now and pray that they will be saved and ask God to use you to help, to help them be saved. Think of a need that you have or a need that someone else that you love has. Take one of those promises I threw out a minute ago and bring it to the Father and ask Him to be at work. Oh God, you're a good God. We can count on you. You're all we need and all we could ever want. And so I pray that we will come to you today, Lord, that we will receive what you alone can give, which is life abundant. Bless us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.